I really feel like this is what God wants me to talk about and what he wants me to bring to you today. Um, and if we look at this discussion from the wrong perspective, we could get very angry and we could be upset and we could be frustrated. Or if we look at it from a different perspective, we can leave with joy and excitement for our future. This could sound like a reprimand. This could sound like Derek's up here telling us we're in trouble. Or it could be Derek's up here calling us to something better. Today is not a rebuke or a reprimand. Today is a call to remember who we are. Today is a call to remember who we are. It's my boy. We are the body of Christ. This is who we are. This is who we were designed to be. And so what today is, um, if we weren't doing a live stream, if this was like a year ago, I would have had a video for you and I'd have had like pictures of, of Mufasa on the screen and it would have been great. But since we're live streaming, uh, we're not allowed to do that kind of stuff anymore because uh, it's illegal to reproduce because of the FBI and all that stuff we used to skip over. We still skip over on DVDs and stuff. So I want to I want to bring to your memory uh, this the Lion King, right? It's the Lion King. Uh, about halfway through the movie, Simba, the prince, is living his best life off doing Hakuna Matata, eating bugs, hanging out with his friends, enjoying life. But something's wrong. He gets in, he gets to this point where he's just really depressed. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. And his father comes to him in the clouds, and his dad says. Simba, remember this is James Earl Jones' voice, right? The big voice, right? Uh, the voice that, that is unmistakable above all other voices. Seriously, guys, if God's voice isn't something like James Earl Jones' voice, I might be a little bit let down. I might be. Just, I imagine it can be. I imagine God gets to use whatever voice he wants. But if he doesn't go, Derek, and have it be like that, I'm gonna be like, oh, okay. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Guys, I need you to wake up here. If, if you're in-house today, um, remember we're basically children and we need to act like it. Come on, I deal with the youth kids. I hang out with teenagers all the time. And if there's not some chatter, I think you're dead. And then I stay and I beat the horse. Okay, there we go. Gotta, I gotta have some kind of give and take. So in The Lion King, Simba's there. His dad comes in the clouds. And James Earl, Jones, James Earl Jones' voice says, Look into yourself, Simba. You're more than what you've become. Remember who you are. And that's what I believe Holy Spirit is saying to us today, to the church today, in-house and online. Look into yourself. You're more than what you've become. Remember who you are. And we are the body of Christ. So what should we be doing? What is our purpose? Um, I would like to uh, invite you guys to please stand with me as we read together this morning. Um, uh, I'm not gonna have you stand for all of the reading, but we are gonna read 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 21, and then 25 and 26 together, okay? So uh, let's begin. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. 
This makes, jump ahead, there we go, thank you. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would, you would make the Bible, that you would make God's word come to life. That it wouldn't just be words on a page, but that it would be a, a life-changing communication with you. Because um, Holy Spirit, we all know, like, like as individuals, we know very well that we aren't perfect and that we could do better. So Holy Spirit, we're asking you today to help us to become better. In your name we pray, amen. Feel free to have a seat, guys. <clears throat> so, our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part, like thing. Yeah, just a thumbnail kind of bouncing around. There are many parts, but only one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. This makes for harmony. All the members care for each other. Have you ever smashed your thumb with a hammer? You don't smash your thumb with a hammer and not notice. You, I mean, I imagine there's a case where that would happen, like if there's like massive nerve damage and whatever. But um, generally speaking, you smash your thumb with a hammer, your entire body reacts and comes rushing to the aid of that poor baby thumb. There's screaming and sometimes cursing. That's what we are. We are the body of Christ. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. But also, if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. My kids have been doing this thing. Um, uh, shortly after COVID started, my kids realized that mom and dad were a little bit stressed and a little bit exhausted from all the extra stuff we were having to do and, and come up with. And so they wrote this song called Dear Amazing Parents. And they sang it to us, and in part of the song was a request that we would go do something as a family that we really couldn't do because it was COVID. And we're like, kids, we can't. We, we just can't do that thing that you're asking. It's, it's super creative and super touching that you did this, but we, we can't. So we had to say no. But a few months later, they came back with uh, uh, round two, and they rewrote the song, and with the song came these little booklets with, uh, like you get from your kids at like a Christmas or whatever, where it's like a, a little uh, uh, coupon for different things, like uh, doing the dishes for free or whatever, which means nothing to me because they have to do the dishes anyway, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so it was those, and they were great. And then um, here uh, last week or the week before, they did it again. And this time it was a game show and uh, the song came in as part of the game show and, and it was funny and it was fun. And one of, the car, uh, one of the things that I won in the game show was uh, an upper body, like a head shoulder massage for my daughter. And when she put her hands on my neck and shoulders and started to massage this area, my whole body melted. Because when one part of the body is honored, all the parts of the body are glad. So, 11 or 12 years ago, when Pam and I still lived in Wyoming, I worked for Volunteers of America, Wyoming, and Montana. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my, my, my main job was at the, uh, the, school, the school district. I worked at a suspension program 
where kids would get in trouble at school and then instead of just going home for the week, they would come to me. I would help them with their homework. I would help them learn what they did, take responsibility for their actions and make better choices in the future. Um, but during the summers and the weekends and evenings, I worked at the group home. The group home was primarily for kids who were at risk and maybe their parents weren't there or their parents weren't doing their job, so they would come and live with us at the group home. But um, there's also this law where um, you cannot have minors in view of adult prisoners or where they can hear adult prisoners and, and vice versa. And in Sheridan, they didn't have a specific place for minors to go. So the minors that got in trouble in the court system came to us for what we called the jail removal program. So, it was, so, so the house that we ran was essentially, for all intents and purposes, it was a minor, like a, a youth jail, okay? And I had this one student who was, was in that jail removal program at the group home. Now, I remember this pretty clearly. It was an evening, um, and I wasn't working this evening. I was at home, and I remember I was making teriyaki chicken wings. I used to make just the best teriyaki chicken wings. I weighed a lot more, but it's fine. Anyway, they were almost done. I was like, man, there's like two minutes left on the timer. I'm ready. It was like this multi-phase process of getting them just right. My phone rings, and my boss says, hey, Derek, um, this student has, has barricaded himself in the bathroom. There aren't any male staff. Can you come? And I only lived eight blocks from there. They knew I was the closest staff member. So within about four, maybe five minutes, I had got my shoes on, jumped in the truck, and headed over. And I got there. And uh, the staff kind of told me what was going on, what they knew. So I went up to the bathroom, and I knocked on the door. I said, hey, would you let me in? It's Derek. So he opened the door. All right. So I go in, and I asked him, I was like, at some point later on, I asked him, why did you open the door for me when you wouldn't open it for everybody else? And he goes, I figured you'd have taken it off the hinges anyway. <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah, it would have been great. It would have been fun. The group home was, was used to having the building be broken from various children making bad choices, so we, we got it fixed a lot, and breaking down a bathroom door wouldn't have been the end of the world. Anyway, so I go in, and this guy, this kid, he was maybe 16, 17. He's sitting on the bathroom counter, and it had one of those um, plastic loops, like the 80s-style plastic uh, towel holder loops. There's like metal thing with the plastic. He had broken the plastic off, <clears throat> and he took the sharp shards, and he was cutting himself. And he was bloody, and he was crying, and he was upset. And so I just sat down on the toilet across from him, and I was like, dude, what's, what's going on? And he's in the group home, and his family's not happy with him, and his girlfriend broke up with him that day, and school wasn't going well, and he felt completely out of control. And so he started to cut, because that gave him some form of control. And if you didn't know, that's what cutting is about. Cutting isn't about suicide, it's about controlling something in your life. So if you know somebody in your, in, in your life that, that is into self-harm, um, we're not talking about self-harm today. That's not the focus, but since we're here, um, if you know somebody that, that's, that's dealing with that, we would love to help, help them find healing and uh, a better way to deal, with, um, to deal with their struggles and stresses. Um, but that's what happened to this kid. And um, <clears throat> he felt completely out of control, so instead of calmly and rationally working things out, he began to attack himself so that he could feel that he has control. And right now, in our world, it seems that the body of Christ is like that student.
when faced with a world that seems out of our control, things are happening that we didn't expect, that we didn't want to see, and the church has chosen self-harm. We have chosen self-mutilation. We would rather attack ourselves in hopes of feeling some bit of control than calmly refocusing our calling and doubling down on our hope in the fact that our Father has already won. This is a problem, guys. And I'm not pointing a finger at any one person because the body is connected and we're a family. And this is a real conversation that we really need to have. So today we're going to unpack Romans 12 as a way of hopefully disengaging from this destructive behavior and re-engage um, and refocus on Jesus and his plans for our lives, okay? Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to read a little bit, we'll discuss a little bit, but really we're just going to go all through Romans 12. I'm reading out of the NLT. Um, it's not going to all be on the screen, so you guys can uh, follow along in your own Bible if you'd like, but otherwise, um, here we go. Ready? All right. So... Verse one, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a holy, sorry, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Romans 12 verses like one, two, three, that area is the closest thing to a life verse that I have. If you're like, Derek, what's your favorite verse uh, today? <laughs> it's this, or I don't have a favorite verse, I have a favorite idea or uh, a favorite subject, but... Um, I always come back to this, and we, we, were, we discussed this actually um, December 2019, so just over a year ago. We were right here. You guys remember. It was, it was that discussion we had from, from uh, Alpha. So um, we talked about the living sacrifice and what it means to be a living sacrifice. How can I be, uh, and how we'd always talked about how I was like, well, if I'm a living sacrifice, does that mean I'm getting off the altar? No, it was, it was living in the household of the family and being... Um, prepared and protected by the family in preparation for sacrifice. And uh, that's what we're, we're supposed to be. That's what we talked about um, then. Let's continue. Verse two, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So in this case, the word changing in many versions is also is renewing. Okay, through the renewing of your mind, right? <clears throat> Jesus, renew our minds. But also that word could be renovating. I like the word renovate because of the picture that it gives. Why do we renovate a space? Why would we, say we need to renovate a kitchen, a bathroom, a basement. Why do we need to do that? Usually because a space is no longer functional. It's broken in some way and needs to be completely torn out and rebuilt from the ground up, right? Well, that's, that's the case with our minds. Our human minds, our, our, our human function is to uh, take care of ourselves as number one and to think about ourselves as number one and essentially try to elevate ourselves to God-like status, which is not what we're called to do and is not God's way. So if we're going to live um, as Christ, if we're going to become like Christ, our mind has to be, our thought processes have to be completely broken down and completely replaced with new, better structures, okay? My grandparents <clears throat> lived in a house uh, in Montana on Flathead Lake in a house that was built, I believe, in 1914, 
And we know that it was built in 1914 because this is a log house. And in the renovations of this log house, they actually had to pull out the old chinking. And chinking is the stuff they put between the logs because logs don't fit super tight. And even where they do fit super tight, it's a very thin space. So heat and cold can easily be transferred. So what they would do is they would take straw or hay or grass or in newer years, newspaper. And they would pack that into the, into the, the cracks between the logs and then they would cover that in mud. So... Fast forward to the mid-90s when my grandparents are having their house redone, and they're picking all this out, and there's all this newspaper, and the newspaper has dates. And so we know that the house was at least there in 1912, 1914, because it had newspapers from those days. Now, when they did this, specifically just the chinking, they did so much work to this house. It's an amazing place. I wish I could take all of you there, because, I mean, it's massive. We could all go and hang out and have a party at this, like, their yard was like a football field. And, and it's right against the water. There's a lagoon. We'd get up in the morning, jump in a boat, go fishing out of the backyard. It was so great. We could all go in and have like the greatest church picnic ever. But um, when they were redoing the chinking, they tore out the old stuff, but they didn't put in paper and mud. They put in new technology. They put in foam. And when it was done, it looked exactly like it had before but it was much, much more functional. That's what Holy Spirit's doing for us today. And that's what, that's, that's what our calling is as Christians, to daily get up and allow Jesus and allow Holy Spirit to get in and take out our old way of thinking and replace it with his better, more functional way of thinking, okay? So moving on, verse three, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul is amazing. I love this guy because he's like me right here. He's hedging. He's, he's basically saying, um, so guys, I'm gonna tell you some stuff that might make you uncomfortable, might make you angry, but here's the deal. It's God's word, not mine. And I kind of want to do that today too because like I said before, this could be an angry discussion. You guys could get mad at me. And honestly, if you want to get mad at me, go for it. There's a lot of people that are mad at me. I'm kind of getting used to it. Oh. That was a joke. Uh, uh, uh. The people online are laughing. The people at home are like, ha, ha. They're not. They're not. But it is important that we understand, and, and part of the reason that we're going through this step by step is because I'm not talking to you as if I have it all together. I'm not standing here saying, I need you guys to act like me because I, I'm perfect. I'm saying we as a body, as a family, as a group can do better. Let's look at how we can do it better by reading God's word together. So, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So, when it comes to self-evaluation, honesty is key. We need to be honest in our self-evaluation. In September, we had a discussion where we, we talked about this. Uh, the message was called, What If? You guys might remember that. Um, it was asking the question, what if I don't know what I think I know? Is it possible that I'm not as good, smart, healthy, etc., as I think I am? Or on the flip side, what if, what if, through healthy and honest evaluation, I'm actually better and smarter and more healthy than I think I am? What if? So a fair judgment of oneself might look like this. I'm not perfect. 
I'm not perfect. I know I do well in these areas. I'm good at these things. But I know I need to grow in these things. I know I'm not perfect at these things. But I also know that I am a child of the one true God. And as such, I have value and position that I've not earned, but I enjoy it. And for that, I'm humbled and eternally thankful. And this type of judgment of oneself lends itself to greater self-esteem because I know who I am. And even though I might not be good at some things, even though I might not be great at some things, even though I might not be succeeding in all the areas that I need to be succeeding, I know I'm succeeding in some and I know I'm growing in the ones that I'm not. Right? All right, so... Verse four, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Now here's something I wanna, I wanna step out. I, this is what I forgot first service because uh, I just remembered it last night and I forgot to write it down. When Paul was writing this book to the church in Rome, what had happened was uh, Rome had removed all of the Jewish Christians. All the Jews had been kicked out of Rome. And while they were gone, the, the um, non-Jewish Christians kind of built the church and it, and it grew. Then all of the Jewish Christians were allowed back into Rome. So when they came back, there was this group of, there, there, there were two groups. There was a very large group of um, non-Jewish Christians that really didn't care about the, the Old Testament and, and uh, didn't really care about the Jewish way of life. But then there were all the Jewish people that came in who were like, wait a minute, all this stuff is important. And then we had this one body of Christ split into two factions that were attacking one another because they didn't agree. So all of this stuff that we're reading is coming from a very similar time in a very similar um, battle of the church against itself. The church in Rome was into self-harm. <clears throat> and so Paul is writing this in response. So just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. <clears throat> Now, this is the crux of today's discussion. This is, this is the core. This is the part that we need to um, really, really grab a hold of. And I'm so glad if you're with us online this morning. I, I want you to hear this, and I want you to share this with everybody you know if you're online, okay? This is important. This is very, very important. We are one body. Whether you're in-house or online, or at Bethel Assembly over there, or Fountain Springs, wherever they're at, or Harvest Foursquare down over here. No matter where you find yourself, you are part of, we are part of the body of Christ. The Catholic Church downtown is part of the body of Christ. They are part of who we are. Because we are one body and, and we belong to each other. I want to make sure I don't get ahead of myself here. We belong to each other. Each of us is not an island unto ourselves. We are a unit and we are affected by one another. What I do affects you and what you do affects me. So at the beginning of COVID, when we first had to go online and everything was online and everybody was home and everybody was scared, things were different than they are now. The church, like our church was growing. We had more people online than we had in house, like before COVID had started. 
But through all the struggles and challenges and never-ending just stuff that's come this, this, this last year, we've all kind of become complacent and we've become angry and we've kind of become shut off. And here's the thing. And here's what I need us to, to, to grab a hold of. Whether you're at home or in-house or whether your friends aren't coming to Destiny anymore and they're going to another church, we're still one body and we still belong to one another. And I want to challenge you guys. I forgot to say this first service because we weren't live streaming. I wish I'd remembered. I want to challenge you. If you're in-house, get a hold of some of those people that are at home and talk to them and share life with them and remind them that they matter. And those of you that are at home, I want to challenge you to connect with some of the people that you haven't seen that are in-house. And I want you to email them and call them and connect with them in whatever ways you can and whatever ways you're comfortable with. See, at the beginning of COVID, nobody was alone. But as time has gone on, we're becoming more and more and more alone and more and more and more scattered. And it's not okay. Because a body separated is a dying body. We need to connect. So let's connect. We need to remember who we are. We are the body of Christ. Verse six, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. <clears throat> so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your spirit is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And we're going to stop here. We're going to talk about leadership responsibility for just a moment. If you fancy yourself a leader, you need to act like it. Um, we need to act like it. Uh, there's three types of leaders. Um, by and large. There's the born leader, the person who has it built into their DNA. It's just part of their personality. It's part of who they are. There's the learned leader. Okay, you find a lot of parents that are learned leaders. A learned leader is someone who finds themselves in a situation where they have to lead, so they learn how to lead. But it's not in their core. It's not part of who they are. It's part of their personality. It's something that they just have to learn how to do. And then the third person is actually like my wife, um, where God gives you the gift of leadership for a time or, or in general. So 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, when Pam and I moved here, <clears throat> she was terrified to speak in front of people. She wouldn't even speak at youth. She couldn't speak in front of the youth group because uh, she was just so nervous and so terrified. Um, then about six months after we moved here, it was November, we were at a, a youth conference in Sioux Falls and the, the speaker asked all of the youth leaders to go to the front and basically we're just saying, God, give me what you need me to have. So Pam said that. And Holy Spirit dropped in her the ability to lead. And from that day on, she's never been afraid to speak in public. And she's been a leader in the youth group, and she's been able to lead in ways that she was never, ever able to lead. She's been a different person since that one moment. That's the third kind of leader. Now, when Pam comes up here and she does, like, announcements, and, and she's joking about how she's uncomfortable and whatever, honestly, that's an inside joke from 12 years ago. It's not really funny anymore, and it's not even really true, because she doesn't care. God has given her the ability to lead supernaturally. But we're talking about people that have that innate personality leader thing built into them. <clears throat> we need to understand that if you're a born leader, you are always going to lead. People will always follow you, no matter what direction you're going. 
So we need to become aware of who we are, what we're doing, and who we're leading, and make sure that we're leading them in the right direction. We need to be setting examples and leading by doing. Understand that you'll lead people wherever you go, good or bad, and it's a very serious business. My kids hate it because I know that I'm a leader. And I know that my children are born leaders and that my family is a leading family. And they say, Dad, why do, we have, why do you hold us to these standards? Why, why do we have to behave so much better than our peers? And I, said, I say, because we're leaders and people will follow us. And if we make good choices, more people will make good choices. And if we have that kind of uh, power, if we have that kind of influence, we have to take it seriously. We have to take it seriously. And we have to lead by example. And so I'm not saying we always do it perfectly because we absolutely do not. I am a fail a lot of the time. Like I fail a lot and I get that. But every day I get up and try again because God has given me another day to get better and become more like him, more like Jesus. So if leading is your thing, do it well, take it seriously. Moving on in verse eight. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is not my gift. Uh, I'm not good at being kind. There's something about my personality and the way I think. I don't mean to hurt people, but I tend to be abrasive and people get hurt. So that's a huge weakness in me. But within the body of Christ, some of you are really, really good at being kind to people. Please be kind to people. Do it gladly because I'm not going to do it. Somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to be kind to somebody. People need to feel loved when they come to church. People need to feel loved within this body. And I'm not always able to meet that need. Somebody needs to meet that need. So if you're in-house, contact some of the people that are online. If you're online, contact some of the people that are in-house. Let's get together. Let's be kind to one another. Let's remind each other that we matter and that we love each other. Moving on into verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hate what is wrong, not who. Hate what is wrong, not who is wrong. We get overzealous with this. We get too aggressive. In our, in our search for justice, we... In America, we have gotten really, really good at loving everything and hating everything. I love, I love tacos. I hate cheeseburgers. I love that show. I hate that show. I love DC. I hate Marvel. It's true for me. I don't hate Marvel, but I'm, yeah, I prefer Batman. Um, sorry, I'm nerding out in, all by myself up here because it's second service and I'm getting tired. Uh, but we love and we hate and we're so aggressive about it. You know, there was a time, there was a time when an artist could create something, could create some kind of art. Uh, it could be a, a, a painting, a photograph, it could be music, it could be a movie or, or anything along those lines. They would create something. They say, here, this is the thing I created. I created, look at my thing. And we would walk by and we would go, oh, I kind of like that. And then we would move on. Or we'd look at that and go, oh, I don't really care for that. And we would move on. But now... What our culture is doing and what our culture is used to doing is we walk up and we say, oh, I like that. Hey, everybody, come like the thing I like. Or 
oh, I hate that. Everybody, come hate the thing I hate. We need to change it. And so now what we're seeing is, is things that used to be, like it or don't, are now the world must like it. And if the world doesn't like it, we have to fix it. It used to be you would make a movie and the director and the artists that created it would release it. And if you liked it, you liked it. If you didn't, you didn't. But we're so used to hating things and we're so aggressive towards it that it has to change. And that's not fair and it's not healthy. It's like a two-year-old that throws a tantrum and gets what they want. What happens to that two-year-old when they pitch a fit to get what they want and then they get what they want? So uh, at youth, we've been talking about Zacchaeus lately, okay? And we're, we're still on the same subject here. And anyway, so we're talking about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is this guy who is essentially a traitor to Israel. He is a Jew. He's, a, he's an Israelite. He's a Jew guy. But he works for Rome as a tax collector. And so his job is to go to the people in his town, collect their taxes, and give them to Rome which sounds fine because taxes are a thing and we deal with it and people have to work for the IRS, whatever. But at this day, in this time, tax collectors didn't just collect the taxes you owed. They collected everything they could get out of you. Then they would give what Rome wanted to Rome and they would pocket the rest. So Zacchaeus is a guy who is working for the bad guys is despised by his peers and is essentially alone. Now, he's hanging out one day and he hears that this guy is coming to town. This guy named Jesus, everybody loves him. It's this guy who heals the sick and, and uh, walks and talks with people that he shouldn't. And he spends time and he loves people and he's forgiving people's sins. What is this? And so at this point, Jesus is like, a superstar, and Zacchaeus is like, this guy's coming to my town. I want to see him. So Zacchaeus comes out to the, to the square, town, street, whatever, and there's a crowd around Jesus, and Zacchaeus can't see him. So he climbs a tree, right? You guys can read this in the Bible if you want. But Zacchaeus climbs a tree, and he's looking out, and he can see Jesus. And Jesus is over here, and Zacchaeus is over there in the tree. And Jesus looks up, and he sees him. And he moves through the crowd and he pushes everybody out. He's like, Mo. I don't imagine Jesus kicked anybody, but I'm me, not him. So he comes over and Jesus looks up at the guy in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's go to your house and have lunch. Jesus called him by name. Jesus called him by name and said, hey, you're buying me lunch today. That was funny first service. Uh, <laughs> but that's essentially what Jesus did. Jesus says, hey, come down. I want to go to your house. Now, Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house communicated to Israel and communicated to that culture, to the, to the Jews and the people in that town, just like we were talking about during communion. When Jesus sat down with Zacchaeus and said, I'm coming to your house, we're going to eat. Jesus was essentially what was communicated to the people around him was that Jesus was okay with Zacchaeus and his lifestyle. That's what was communicated. And the religious leaders of that day and of that time were angry. 
They were angry. What they would have wanted, what they would have wanted was Jesus to ignore him. Pretend he wasn't in the tree. Leave that guy alone. He's a sinner. He's stealing from us. He's a bad guy. The, 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 the king of the Jews, the leader, whatever, he shouldn't be talking to them. Rabbi should not be talking to this sinner, this traitor to Israel. Or they would have wanted Jesus to condemn him. You're a sinner. Your lifestyle needs to change. You're a bad guy. Or they would have wanted Jesus to punish him in some form. But Jesus knew a better and more effective way to salvation. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I want to go have lunch with you. Jesus was not okay with Zacchaeus' lifestyle. Jesus was not okay that Zacchaeus was stealing from his neighbors. Jesus was not okay that people were suffering. But Jesus looked past what Zacchaeus was doing and looked into the heart of the man and said, I love you, and I care for you, and I want to spend time with you, and I'm going to sit at your table. And when he did, Zacchaeus' life was changed. He had such a hard change, in fact, that he gave away everything he had. I believe it says that Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give back four times what I have taken. So in Jesus' plan, by looking past what Zacchaeus was doing, by looking past the what, and looking into the who, Zacchaeus' life was changed, but so was the life of the city. If Jesus had walked by and ignored Zacchaeus, he would have continued the same behavior. If he had stopped Zacchaeus' behavior and sent him to prison or punished him in whatever way, the whole town would have still been out. But because God, because Jesus reached into Zacchaeus' life and changed his heart, because Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus, his life was changed so aggressively that the whole town's life was changed, so much so that your life is changed today because we get to hear that story. At the end of the encounter, Jesus says this. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man, that is Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. We are the body of Christ. If Jesus himself was less interested in the what he was doing so that he could reach past the what he was doing and get into the heart and fix the heart and fix the root and change what was happening on the inside, the body of Christ needs to do the same. But Derek, but Derek, they're killing children. I know. And it's terrible. But there's a cause. What's the cause? Let's find the cause. Let's fix the families. Let's fix the hearts. Let's look past the what and reach into the who and let healing happen. But Derek, but Derek, they, they legalized all the drugs. All the drugs are legal now. If everything is illegal, the people that are into it have to go to jail. If they're not, the people who are into it can go to treatment and get real help. And there's arguments and fights to go on all sides of this, but I can tell you, when I was in, when I was in uh, college, there was this group in my college um, called Highways and Byways, and it was, it was the outreach group, it was the extracurricular group, and they would go downtown Vancouver, 
And they invited me along once, and I'm not that kind of guy by nature, so I, I didn't go often, but I went one time to give hot chocolate to the people on the streets. And Vancouver has a red light, or at least at the time, I assume it's still there, has kind of a red light district. If you're gonna break the law, do it here in this area. And so there was an outreach group that would um, put on these blue jackets so everybody knew who you were and you would carry a giant thing of hot chocolate and some cups. And our job was to go out and fill up the cup and give it to the guy and say, love you, man, and give it to another guy. And when I was out that night, I saw, I saw people shooting up with heroin. I saw needles all over the street. I saw all kinds of crazy stuff. Part of what this outreach did was supply clean needles to the users so that they would stop getting sick because so many of them were using dirty needles that they were dying from other things before their hearts could even start to be healed. But this outreach was looking past the behavior and into the hearts and trying to reach the people and say, hey, you have value and we care for you and we want to see your life changed. We want to see you live the best possible life for you. Jesus has a plan for your life that is better than this. We didn't sh they, they don't ship them away. They don't condemn them. They say, we love you and we want to take care of you. And when you're ready, we will help you walk out of this darkness that you found yourself in. That's what Jesus did for Zacchaeus, and that is what we are called to do as the body of Christ. Moving on in verse 9. Hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Let's hear that one again. This is my favorite part. Hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring one another. Take delight in honoring one another. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Uh, we've already kind of hit on this, but I want to remind you, this is contrary to our, our core human behavior. This is human thinking. Like, like, I'll get you for what you got me, is human thinking. Kingdom thinking is bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. So God, renovate our minds. Tear out our old ways of thinking and install useful thought processes. Verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. That is, have empathy for people. <laughs> I say, empathy is, I feel for you. Apathy is, I don't care about you. 
you got to know which is which. Empathy is I can feel what you're feeling. You don't have to be suffering to imagine how you would feel if you were the person who is suffering. We are instructed to take part in the emotions of the people around us. Because the emotions of the people around us are important. The way that I feel should be important to you. And the way that you feel should be important to me. And we should strive to understand each other and understand where each other is coming from. Okay? Example. I'm not black. I'm not. My sister Shanika is. My brother Michael is. I'm the oldest of six. Four of them are adopted. Two of them are black. I don't know what it's like to feel the things, to live life with the things that a black person generally has too. But when the stuff that's happened this last year happened and the black community hurt the way that it did and responded the way that it did, there were a lot of people that said, it's not happening to me, so it can't be real. I don't see it, so it can't be real. Those people's emotions were real. The way that they felt, the way that they feel today is real. And we need to care. And we need to find out why they feel that way. And we need to uh, share in their emotions. If they're broken because their community is broken, we need to hurt because their community is our community. We are instructed to take part in the emotions of the people around us because the people around us are important and their emotions are important and their thought processes are important and where they find themselves is important. And we can't look at our toe. Sorry, not my toe. Let me go back to the top here. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. We can't do that. As the body of Christ, we are not allowed to look at people in our group, in our area, and say, we don't need you. Your feelings, your emotions, the way that you live your life is not important. It's a lie. It's not true. It's important. Verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Mama used to say, two rights don't make a wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Sorry, two wrongs don't make a right. Two lefts don't make a right, but three do. Um, sorry, again, getting tired. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's the challenge. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. But Derek, they voted for the other guy. But Derek, they're doing things that we don't agree with. Yeah, they are. But you know what? The world that Jesus was in was a darker world than this one. And he did it. Jesus was able to find peace with everyone. And if he could do it, we could. Because the Bible says that we can do anything through Christ who strengthens us. We can find peace with everyone. 
Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will repay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, okay? If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Now, the last time I read this verse... There was a little bit of like prickly shoulders because of the word shame, okay? So we're gonna back out. There are actually four or five ways to read that line. Um, the NLT says burning coals of shame. Other versions say just burning coals. Um, but here's what my study Bible says um, about that, that, that uh, section. It says, a simple act of Christian kindness can often bring a hostile person to repentance before God and restore fellowship between people. I would also add this. Our culture is not a, a, a shame, honor, or honor, shame society. That's not what we do. That's not how we think. So when we see the word shame, it has a, a very negative connotation. But it wouldn't have had the same type of connotation. It would have meant something different to the original hearers of this, um, of this letter. So uh, a couple of years ago when Pam and I were in Cuba, there was this guy named Misael. Amazing guy. He had what was essentially a master's in Cuban history. And he was working as a night security guard because that was the only job he could get because Cuba. But um, the people that were running our, our training secured him and he took us all around old Havana and he took us to all the places that all the stuff happened in Cuba and he told us all the history and he told us all the real history and he told us all the fake history. He said, this is fake history. That didn't actually happen. What really happened was this. And he told us all this stuff. But one of the things that he did was he took us to the harbor in Cuba. And the funny thing is, it's been two years. I was in that town for like four days. I can still go to Google Maps and find the street that we stayed on, Lamparilla. Uh, I can find that street and I can take you through Google Maps to everywhere that I went. And I can tell you just about every person that I saw. I can't do that with everything, but this was a life-changing trip for me. So anyway, Misael takes us to the harbor where um, uh, the La Cubra, um, it's weird because it's, it's La Cubra in Spanish, but it's a French ship, so it would have been pronounced differently, but La Cubra is good enough for us. It was a French ship that was bringing munitions from Belgium into Cuba. I don't remember what year it was, but basically there was an explosion. Some people died, a lot of people got hurt. So a bunch of Cubans in the area around, around there came and were rushed to the aid of the wounded. A half hour after the first bomb, a second bomb went off and killed many more. It was a bigger bomb. More people got killed. So what Misael was showing us this day was the memorial of this tragedy. And it was important. He said, this is important to Cuba because this, is, this informs how we live and how we behave and how we feel about the world around us. And we stepped back and we said, Misael, who did it? And Misael said, um, don't worry about it. No, Misael, please, who, who did it? Uh, it's, it's not important. Misael, please, who did it? CIA. Now, if you read about this online, there's, there's some arguments uh, back and forth about whether it was really the CIA or not, but I mean, come on, we know what we do. And that's our culture. We're a guilt culture. As long as we know what was done and who took responsibility for it and that justice was done, we don't care. What was important to Misael that day is he did not want to shame us by telling us that our government was responsible. He didn't want to shame us. 
He didn't want to make us feel bad because in their culture, that's what's important. And that's what uh, the original hearers of this verse would have said. They would have understood that being treated well by your enemy brought shame upon you for not being equally hospitable. Because honor should be repaid with honor. And if it is not, it shakes you and breaks you. When I was a teenager, probably 15, 16, um, I had been on on a Sunday. There was this lady on the worship team, and she and I kind of had a moment where we didn't, there was just a little bit of a tiff, kind of a fight thing, and I don't remember what it was, but I was angry about it. And um, that next Wednesday night, I saw her coming, and I was like, oh, I don't want to talk to her. And she walked up to me, and she hands me a king-size Snickers bar. And her, this, this, this thing, like I was ready to, I was like bracing myself for a fight, and she brought me a gift, and it broke me. And she said, Derek, can we talk? And we did. And we came out better and stronger. Not because we fought, but because she honored her enemy. And I was shamed in that I couldn't, in that I wasn't matching her heart. And it broke my stance. And then I responded in honor as well. Verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Guys, we are to shine, we are to shine into the dark places of this world. We are to be ambassadors of hope. We're to bring hope everywhere we go. We're to bring hope into the hopeless places. We are to show the world that we are Christians, not by our ability to argue on social media, but by our love. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we're busy cutting the hands and feet of Jesus, what good are we doing to the world around us? We need to remember who we are. So let's end where we began. Romans 12, 13. Because of the, sorry, Romans 12, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. I want to ask you guys to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes as as we close here. We're just going to take a minute for some healthy introspection. Let's just look on the inside. The body is many parts. One body, many parts. Let's just break into our individual parts for just a moment. Okay? Closing our eyes doesn't, it's not a magical thing that connects us to Jesus or something like that. That's Jesus that connects us to Jesus. Uh, this is just centering ourselves so that we can focus on ourselves just for a moment. Holy Spirit, please shine your light in our lives and begin to illuminate any darkness that we can't see. When we put away everything else, when we scrape everything that's not Jesus out of our lives and we just focus on Jesus, Jesus, when we just focus on you, when our eyes lock on you, all we want is more of you and all we want is to be closer to you. So I pray that you would start to point out the things in our hearts and in our minds that aren't of you. Show us anywhere that we haven't been behaving the way that you've called us to behave. 
Jesus, we don't want to misrepresent you to the world. As Christians, we are born leaders and we are leading the world whether we like it or not. Jesus, help us to lead them in good ways. Help us to make amends. Help us to learn to live in harmony with those around us. Jesus, teach us to care for one another the way that you care for us. Jesus, teach us to see the value in one another. Help us to see past the things that we struggle with and the things that we hate and help us to see into the hearts of the broken and bring healing to them. What an amazing thing that you've called us to be a part of the healing of hearts. Jesus, help us. Help us to be as effective as we possibly can be. Help us to represent you well. Help us to show the world who you are through our love. Jesus, we thank you so much for not giving up, for giving us another day and another opportunity to do better and learn more and get closer to you and become more like you. And I pray that you'll give us a tomorrow so we can do the same and a day after that and a day after that. Jesus, I don't want to give up. I want to reach the world. I want to do what you've called us to do. Jesus, I thank you that we will reach that goal because you are our leader. We are the body, Jesus, but you are the head. Guide us. In your name we pray. Amen.